0: Tis the season for gift-giving and good cheer. And podcast takeovers. That's right. Up next, we have for you a podcast takeover with Liz Kelly at Home to Her. On it, you get to hear our Make Matriarchy Great Again matriarchs, Dawn Sam Alden and Vicki Noble discuss what makes matriarchy great. It was such a delight to be able to talk with Liz Kelly, and Vicki and I had a terrific time. Plus, Liz is full of good ideas and, in fact, gave me the uh, inspiration for a new series that we'll be doing with 34 Cersei. More information about that in the new year. So sit back with a seasonal beverage and enjoy our latest podcast
1: takeover.
2: welcome to Home to Her, the podcast that's dedicated to reclaiming the lost and stolen wisdom of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Liz Kelly, and on each episode, we explore her stories and myths, her spiritual principles, and most importantly, what this wisdom has to offer us right now. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. everybody and welcome to our show. I am Liz joining you as usual from Central Virginia and the unceded lands of the Monica Nation and I am so glad that you are here with me today. And before we dive in, I want to remind you that my new book, Home to Her, Walking the Transformative Path of the Sacred Feminine, will be available beginning October 14th, 2022. Very close now from Womancraft Publishing. This book is my love letter of sorts to the sacred feminine and includes all kinds of historical insights, plus my personal experiences and some revelations that I've received from guests on this very show. So you can learn more, you can order it at womancraftpublishing.com, and of course it will be available via Bookshop, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, as well. And now without further ado, let's get on with our show. So as you might imagine, I get pretty excited when I find other podcasts and books that are exploring similar themes that I'm talking about here. Or maybe you wouldn't imagine that. Maybe instead you have been misled by the patriarchal hoo-ha that women are catty and don't support each other. Uh, Nah, right? If you're listening to the show, you probably know that that's a whole lot of BS. And some of the most delightful and unexpected surprises of this journey with the Sacred Feminine have been these connections that I forged with others who are writing and talking and speaking about the sacred feminine, all coming from different perspectives. It is such a good perk to this gig, and my guest today and the podcast that they host definitely fit this bill. So I actually found out about them through the Home to Her Facebook group that I host. Some of the members there were sharing and talking about this podcast called Make Matriarchy Great Again. So of course I had to check it out, and here we are today. So let me go ahead and introduce my guest to you, who represent two of the three hosts of the show. Dawn Alden has spent almost 30 years in the nonprofit art space, both as a performer and as an administrator. She founded and ran her own nonprofit theater company for 10 years, worked in development and fundraising for various arts organizations, runs a film production company, and is founding a church. She has a long history of feminist activism in the arts and is dedicated to creating work by and about women for everyone. 34 Circe Salon Make Matriarchy Great Again podcast is her pandemic lockdown project. That's funny because this podcast started right before the lockdown, too. She is joining us today from her home in Los Angeles, California. And also joining us is feminist artist, writer, healer, and teacher, and I'm adding legend because she is to me, Vicky Noble. (laughs) Vicky is the co-creator of Mother Peace and author of eight books, including Mother Peace, A Way to the Goddess, Shakti Woman, Feeling Our Fire, Healing Our World, which is a handbook for women healers, and The Double Goddess, Women Sharing Power, a survey of the long lineage of Amazons and Yoginis since time immemorial which is currently sitting on my bookshelf right now, Vicky co-created with Karen Vogel the round feminist motherpiece tarot cards, revisioning both divination and world history to include women and people of color. In 2017, the fashion company Christian Dior licensed the motherpiece images for a special clothing line, sending their matriarchal values out to all the urban centers of the world. For decades, she has traveled and taught internationally and led pilgrimage groups to sacred goddess sites around the world. She's also retired from teaching as a graduate professor in the Women's Spirituality Master's Program at CIIS New College in San Francisco, and finally at Sophia University in Palo Alto. Vicki is joining us from her home in Santa Cruz, California. And I wanna just give a quick mention to, there's a third host of the show who can't be with us today. His name is Sean Marlon Newcomb, and he is the creator of the Artemis Women in Action Film Festival, the world's first film festival to celebrate films about female action heroes, stunt women, sports women, and women warriors. He is currently the founder of 34 Circe, a company dedicated to telling tales of history, female heroes, great myths, and future world. Thirty-four Cersei produces the "Make Matriarchy Great Again" podcast, along with another podcast called "The Parallax." And, whoo, I feel like that's we, we could spend hours just digging into all of this than in your background. But, uh, Dawn and Vicky, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you.
1: Our pleasure.
2: <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I um, I love to usually start with people just hearing a little bit about their spiritual backgrounds. And one of the reasons I like to do that is I find, um a couple of things. Oftentimes, the divine feminine is not part of our, our background and our upbringing, bringing formally, but she is there in like really subtle ways. Or there's like, you know, something that we have to unlearn uh, along our journey. So I like to kind of dig into that. So I'd love to start there. And um, I don't know either one of you feel free to raise your hand and go first.
1: <laughs> Vicki, do you want to go? Sure. Um I was raised Presbyterian. <laughs> it didn't suit me. Uh, as, a, as a high school student, I walked across the street of my little town and joined the Methodist Church, my first uh, kind of rebellion. Uh, I guess it was more progressive. I didn't even know why I was doing that, just that it felt uh, more resonant. And then um, in 19, well, I, I ended up marrying a, an Air Force officer, again, it didn't suit me, but I stayed in that marriage for five years. I had two baby girls. And uh, in 1970, we moved to Colorado Springs where he was a coach at the Air Force Academy. And in Colorado Springs, I I opened to feminism. I, I found sexual politics a uh, book by Kate Millett. I don't know if the two of you are, have read it or are familiar with it. It was such a long time ago, but it was groundbreaking uh, and absolutely life changing for me. I had a, a routine of the base library sending over whatever came in from the New York Times bestseller list, and so I just I read whatever they sent me. and And that book sitting on my coffee table in Colorado Springs was an act of rebellion. It was incredible. And so when I opened to feminism, it was total, and I considered it uh, spiritual. But it was, gosh, uh, almost, well, it was at least five years after that, that I moved to Berkeley and really had my spiritual awakening to the goddess and and really to the spiritual path. Mm. Um, But all of that, you know, happened really so quickly from uh, 1965 when I graduated from high school. And then uh, by 1975, we were moving to to Berkeley. So in a decade, so many things happened. Uh, And I had a psychic tell me in Berkeley that although I thought I had found everything, you know, had with feminism. She said, uh, actually, you've just cracked the door, and you're about to open it wide. Ah. Of course, I didn't have any idea what that meant at the time, but it turned out to be women's spirituality, and and making the motherpiece cards, but so many other things that went into the motherpiece cards. You know, discovering shamanism, and yoga, and psychic healing, and and the ancient goddess, all of it just exploded. Mm. And uh, and so I've been on that path, you know, studying and teaching all that material ever since. And wow. it's a long time. I'm 75 now. Mm. Was, what was I, 25 at the time?
2: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that must have been such an interesting, I, am I'm just imagining what it, what it might've been like, you know, to be at that, that, um, it seems to me like kind of the early stage of understanding women's spirituality and that yes. sort of opening and what that was like. And also to be on that journey, um, you know, at 25, I, I, I found my own way to this, um, through parenthood and I started a lot later. So, um, mm. you know, I, yeah, that. That sounds, I want to come back to that. Okay. <laughs> but um, Dawn, I'd love to hear from you too, just a little bit about your spiritual background.
0: Sure. Um, I like to tell people that uh, I was raised by atheists, mm. um, which is not quite wolves, but clothes. <laughs> um, no, I was raised in an atheist household. Uh, science was my father's God, is yeah. my father's God. And um so when I had my teenage rebellion, I would sneak out of the house and go to church. Um, oh my and... gosh,
2: I do. So I just I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you might be the only person I've met whose teenage rebellion was to go to church. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I went to uh, services for various different churches around. I grew up in New England in a small yeah. town in New England, so I went to uh, you know services for as many of the different churches that uh, in town that I could get to. Uh, The closest that I found that really resonated was was a Quaker um, Mm -hmm. service, a friends meeting house. But none of it actually really hit. I knew there was something there that I needed, but um, the way it was presented at the various churches that I went to never really quite hit. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I was in college, doing a lot of reading, I met some witchy people who were doing um, some pagan slight sort of things. And uh, I stumbled across the book by Margot Adler, Drawing Down the Moon, which uh, you know is an amazing book uh, study of all of the various different pagan groups that she found around the country. And uh, about 30 pages into that book, I was like, this is what I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's me. Okay. So um, I finally had a name for what I felt, what resonated with me, and so um, worked with a, a, a small group of people. Um, this is when I lived in Chicago. Now, after after grad school, moved to Chicago and found a small group of people, and we we formed a coven and did um, rituals on the Sabbats and things like that. Um, but I also in Chicago got involved with um, with uh, the Native American community uh, that was calling itself at the time, the rainbow tribe. Mm-hmm. And this is, um, this is from Ed McGaw, Eagle Eagleman, Ed McGah He wrote a series of books um, about the rainbow tribe and his philosophy was he's um, Oglala of the Sioux nation. And um, his philosophy was if the native Americans believe that their way of living with the world is the way that, we should live, then why are they not teaching their ceremonies and spreading the word of what they do as broad as they can, as opposed to sort of keeping it. His experience had been that um, the people that he interacted with were keeping it inside their own tribe. It was sort of a secret, um, private thing just for Native Americans. Um, So he, uh, he created this idea of the Rainbow Tribe, and he went out and taught... And led ceremony for non native peoples. Mm. Um, and so I spent uh, several years uh, going to ceremony, uh, sweat lodges, and I even um, uh, did a vision, had a vision quest, um, cried for a vision in the Sioux tradition of the Lakota people, um, which was an enormous honor. Um, and so my spirituality sort of became um, a a sort of m- blend of those two things, mm-hmm. and now I describe it as sort of ecofeminism mm-hmm. is my spirituality. That I follow the wheel of the year and try to walk in rhythm with the earth. Um, uh, the the Sioux term is walk, keep your feet on the good red road, mm-hmm. um, and so try to live in balance and in harmony with all the all the living creatures on the earth.
1: Um, and, uh, Was and, that also Sunbear and, and Betty LaDuke? Uh, no, I never met them. Oh, really? No. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Ed was kind of, um, at the time was kind of a bit of an iconoclast because he was sort of working primarily with non-native peoples. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he was kind of out there doing his thing, but, um, but the ideas that he spread definitely stayed with me. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. And now, of course, I am uh, a firm believer in uh, reestablishing the matriarchy. And uh, that is definitely goddess centered. Mm
2: -hmm. So
0: uh, very much in keeping with sort of the trajectory of my spiritual development. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to you know just say in in terms of i'm not familiar with the rainbow tribe and i i could certainly see that going both ways you know um uh, white people of european descent in this country have a real good make that real bad track record of um
1: appropriation
2: (laughs) appropriation and and and
0: commodification and yeah all of that
2: i could totally see it both ways and um i know for my own spiritual path i think you know also my my family of people listeners if they've been listening and probably heard me mention this before but my family of origin has um at least on my mother's side has been in this country for close to 400 years so the idea of going back to a um, tradition is very appealing but i've got seven plus generations on this soil you know so this is very much home so that idea of um wanting to um you know, reconnect with my my personal ancestral traditions, but also recognizing that there's so much wisdom in this land and my ancestors have so much history in this land. Like, I can definitely see the, the convergence of those things. That makes a lot and of sense to me.
1: In the 1970s, the AIM group, the American Indian Movement, um, and and Native people that I came into contact with in the Bay Area, they were really clear, you know, get your own go back to your own yeah. spiritual roots, which at the time I felt Ugh, Presbyterian, right. like really, <laughs> you're going to make me do that. But of course the work that I ended up doing uh, with Maria Gimbutas and the ancient old European cultures is going back to my most ancient roots. And so it it all made sense at some point uh Mm -hmm. but it took a while i had to really discover that we we did have shamanistic roots and matriarchal roots
2: yes and i i wonder I, i mean I can't even, you know, Vicki, your, your body of work is just so expansive. Like we, we cannot summarize it here, but I wonder if you can. Well, I'm us.
1: old. <laughs> <laughs> you accumulates experience.
2: Well, not everybody, yeah,
0: not everybody accumulates as much as you have. So good on you yeah. <laughs> for using your time well.
2: I wonder, though, if you could talk to us a little bit about that time, you know, in the 70s in Berkeley, when you were kind of moving into this women's spirituality movement and what that was what that was like for you and what you were what you were learning Uh and how that kind of opened things up for you.
1: Yes, I, I love to talk about that. I try to help my students have some sort of a, a feeling you know, for what went on during that decade. The decade of the 70s, for me, there'll never be anything like it. It was uh, so open. And the the culture seemed to completely support the freedom that we were experiencing and coming into and proselytizing about. Um, of course that changed with 1980 you know by the time of Reagan and then the 80s and then finally the 90s forget it the backlash was extreme mm-hmm. but at the time honestly we thought we were changing the world forever mm-hmm. and that it would never go back it was so liberating the it, for for many more than just women but women's liberation was extremely liberating and freeing for me was just wonderful. It was like coming home. I really did feel it as my spiritual path. And then the goddess, you know, it was just, oh, really like opening the door wider like my psychic friend said. Um, so the whole period of the 70s, the first half I spent in Colorado Springs being a women's health advocate and we ha- I, I went to uh, Irvine. I had a boyfriend out there, and I went out there with my children and stayed for a summer and ended up in a self-help group uh, with the speculums, you know, and everybody looking at everybody's vaginas. It was totally Mm earth-shaking. So I took a dozen speculums back to Colorado Springs to my women's liberation group, And said, hey, this is what we need to do next. And we became a women's health group. And and it was a a really fruitful period. Uh, We, of course, marched for abortion and reproductive rights and all that. And then in 73, Roe versus Wade was passed. And so then uh, by by the end of 74 or 75, uh, we opened our own clinic and we had, yeah, it was just great. And and the clinic went on for 10 years, even after I left Colorado Springs. It was very successful. The The Women's Health Clinic, I think we called it, of Colorado Springs, Women's Health Service, that was it. Mm. Um, and so that period of time was just very politically active for me. And um, And then moving to Berkeley, it just completely burst open. And I was having kundalini experiences and uh, things that I had no uh, background for, no no way of really contextualizing what was happening for me. But I knew it was sacred. Mm-hmm. You know, it was everything that happened was so extreme and so precious uh, energetically and, and in my heart. So I, you know, I didn't have a problem yielding to it. And all of that eventually, in a very surprising way, led to the motherpiece images that I made with Karen Vogel. We thought we were writing a book, mm. but it didn't turn... It, it, at a certain point, 78, I think, um Merlin Stone's book came out. Yes. yes. When, God, when God, was God, God Was a Woman. woman. Yeah. And she had spent 10 years researching her book and and Karen and I both felt like, ah, that's the book we thought we were writing. So what are we doing? Meanwhile, someone brought a tarot deck, and I had never ever seen tarot before. And I I got obsessed with it and did it, you know, for six months or something every day all the time. And Karen got into it too. And uh, and my girls left. my They were pre-teens at that point, they left to stay with their dad for a year. And so I was suddenly free. And the and I thought, well, what would it be like to make a tarot deck of my own? And I made the six of wands. And uh, from there, and Karen said, I, I want to do this too. And I said, well, I don't know if you can, you know, it's sort of my project. And she went off and created the chariot card that was perfect perfectly composed and brought it back you know 45 minutes later or something and so off we went we we split the deck in half and and you know even before that to be able to be in berkeley um things in the 70s were so different it was so easy to do everything and we didn't take any money and we were able to buy a house the lender the lending agent actually asked us in the interview um you know what we were thinking and we said well we have degrees but we don't want to work because we we don't want jobs because we want to write but don't worry we'll pay the mortgage and he said okay oh and my we found yeah exactly and so that's the way everything unfolded in the next 5 years for us to make the motherpiece cards and eventually um we actually We tried to get them done in uh, New York. It was a little hard. They didn't have the die cutting and everything. So we brought the project home to Berkeley and we mortgaged our house because in that five-year period, the housing market had shot through the ceiling. So we were able to mortgage the house and print the cards. And then Harper came to me and said, do you want to write a book to go and we'll publish it? And that was wow. it. it. It took off so uh, magically. Wow. Everything was the Buddhists say when, when the streams come together, and the conditions are right, the the treasure can be brought forth. Mm. And it was just like that for us. We knew that it. We were we were drawing the pictures each of us every day, but at the same time, it was as if it was happening through us
0: Mm.
1: you know and it was even before people used all that language about channeling and everything but we Mm. were definitely tapped in and at at some point we decided these little people in the cards you know for anybody who doesn't know the cards little people Mm. these little people were real it was as if they were knocking on our door you know and telling us that they wanted to be manifest bring us in Mm. Wow. And so we did that for a year and then uh, and then the rest of the story. And then I, I started teaching, you know, as soon as yeah. the cards were out, out in the public, out in the world.
2: Wow. And where did Maria Gimbutas Where where in that path and along that journey? Did you find Maria? Okay. Well, it's been my impression that Maria, her work was kind of what opened this up for a lot of.
1: Women for country, a lot of women i think but for me uh, i didn't uh, i don't know when i first saw her book you know she brought out a book in 1974 but we hadn't seen it and we were going to the berkeley library and the stanford art library uh and looking at old art looking at the goddess images we had because mm-hmm. we Let's see, we still didn't have Merlin Stone at that point. Uh, It was uh, Elizabeth Gould Davis, a woman who isn't very well known, but she had written a book in 1971 called The First Sex.
2: Yes. She uh,
1: told the story.
2: One of my podcasts, I believe it's Lucy Pierce who founded Womancraft Publishing... Huh. This this Yes, this book really changed things for her, too. It yeah.
1: was very life-changing, you know, because it was people criticize it. It was intuitive. It wasn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't uh, scholarly or it wasn't academic, but it was mind-blowing. Huh. And after that, I, I just understood that we had this prehistory we didn't know about. And when we moved to Berkeley in 1976, Karen and I were uh, dedicated to... F- you know, researching that material and discovering what what was it and and what was it like when women had power?
2: Mm-hmm. What was it
1: like? I mean that was our big question. And we were very interested in female sexuality and how how was it when women were free. Yes. And so that was our quest, and um, that's what led us on this long, you know, not so long, I guess journey to the to the motherpiece and then to the rest of the work. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, it was a fantastic opening, uh, wow. just and it was shared uh, you know, in Berkeley, in the Bay Area at that time, um the the feminist poetry circuit was, really happening and the bookstores you know w- feminists in the 70s basically built institutions mm. and we had a kind of parallel world for a decade mm. it was thrilling uh, and some of us were separatists not all but uh we, Karen and I definitely had a five-year period of separatism There wasn't a man in our house for five years (laughs) Uh, and it was, you know, it was refreshing. I mean, I, I missed men by the end of that five years, but you know, it was a wonderful, like a retreat. And, uh, and the way that we were in our household and raising my daughters was just very woman centered before I really had any experience of that in the world. Wow. It sounds
2: amazing. And I, I, Dawn, I'm guessing you probably feel the same way, but I know, I'm just, I, I know, I know without a doubt that I, I wouldn't be here now without that um, period of time and like your work and all of that opening, you know, that's, I mean, this wouldn't even be possible. So yeah, yeah.
1: thank you. Thank yeah. you. That's yeah, in, absolutely. In, uh-huh. In America, we, we obliterate our history. Yeah. So, so many women don't know I know what yeah. came before because they don't want us to, you know, yes. Yeah. They
0: don't want that information in front and center. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that I I have talked with Vicky about is, you know, of all the advances that were made by women in the 70s in spirituality, in politics, in business, in all this sort of thing, all of these forward steps were taken. And it feels like in every area except spirituality that ground has been lost but women's spirituality and the goddess movement and all of that sort of thing is an area that has continued it has not only survived but it has thrived Mm -hmm. because that is a message that i i feel anyway is so so resonantly truthful that once you learn it, and once you open to it, it's not something that can ever be taken away from you. Mm-hmm. The uh-huh. understanding as of God as Mother, uh-huh. of the Goddess,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and is so fundamentally right.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: think so that um, yes, yeah, yeah,
2: especially for I think for those of us who there's just that gaping absence, you know, like we yeah. we like once you've see it I mean I grew up in a Baptist a southern Baptist household so wow. you know, there's certainly no naming of I mean Mary didn't even exist you know like there yeah. was no there was no so when it's named it's like a. I mean it's a very visceral thing right like you yes. can feel yes. it in your body of like oh my gosh I had a hole here and I didn't even know there was a hole yes. here and yes
1: exactly this and is then,
0: then it vis- fills and then it fills with love yes, yes. that is what the yes. goddess brings is that yes. love and once that hole is filled with love, it's like, oh, I'm I am never having a hole there again, oh. <laughs> never yeah. again.
2: Well, yeah. and John, I wanted to ask you. So I know you, you talked about aha, I am a pagan. Um, <laughs> is is that kind of where the the goddess came into your? I mean, is is that how you sort of? embraced the goddess or was she just i know in some pagan traditions she's there but she's she's beside the god
0: right right it is a it is a egalitarian lord and lady yeah um yeah for me it was it was mostly the the awareness of the goddess and the and the idea of naming divine as female Mm. that really um came you know that that i was able to put a name to oh that's that's paganism. Okay. Mm. Now I have, you know, when people say, what are you? I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, mother of all m- or mother of none, I think, is a phrase that really like, that really turned the corner for me. It's like, mm-hmm. this is um, this is a divine, a concept of the, the divine that isn't mired in judgment and shame. Yes and um you know requirements for obedience and that sort of thing this is a divine that loves you that's it yes loves you yeah right and (laughs) no strings attached (laughs) no string loves you yeah and um you know my my Personal familial situation was, um, you know, was very much like my father was the judgmental, harsh, mm-hmm. um, cruel figure, and I was lucky enough to have an amazing relationship with my mother, who was, um, you know, was absolutely my favorite person in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, so, to me, it also had that extra like layer of resonance of this is how my life plays out that you know, the judgment and the shame come from the father figure, but the love and acceptance and, um, and pride in me, just like I knew she was proud of me. Mm-hmm. And that was not ever anything I felt from the father figure. So it really was like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is where I am now, and this is where I will always be.
1: Uh, I love that. May, may I go back to the Maria Gimbutas question? Yes, Because uh, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm about to do an online course that I've been working on really all summer. I'm excited about it, and I'm, I'm rereading. I reread all of her, her books on the goddess so that I could sort of synth- synthesize them <clears throat> for all the women I know who are interested but haven't read her books. And, you know, it's a lot to to read all her books, but it's worth it. And um, I came to understand about her that she's like a, a dakini or an avatar, you know, that she came into our lives in a way that was not just thrilling in a scholarly way, which it was, but also in a spiritual way. She was like a spiritual Magnet, uh, because she had grown up in Lithuania and had all of this folk background. You know, when she was born, her mother took her to the ocean, t- took her to the Baltic Sea, and dipped her. Ah. You know, they were steeped in the old religion, even though it was Europe. And, uh, and, and, and then, on the other hand, her parents were uh, resistance intelligentsia they were the epicenter in vilnius for that resistance movement to the to the series of occupations so there's something in her background that made her the way she was and for us it was like when her when i did find her work and when her book God, gods and goddesses of old europe was redone in the ni- early 1980s as goddesses and gods of old Europe because it was more appropriate. Yes. Um, we, you know, we discovered her and and began to coalesce around her in a certain way. I really feel that she became a kind of a lightning rod for our nascent movement that was developing and, and many of us knew each other by then in the Bay area. And so it what we weren't unknown, but so we knew we were doing something collectively, but when, when she really took up residence, you know, in our lives, it, it changed everything uh-huh. and it anchored it, it grounded it in reality. We were having circles and doing rituals and things, but she put the goddess on the map uh-huh. and made it uh substantial substantive I was going to say substantial but really more like it made it it gave it uh gravity legitimacy oh, yeah. Okay. yeah yeah yes. it made it real we weren't just it wasn't a feminist fantasy yeah she was digging it up from the ground and sharing it you know she was a hard scientist but she was also you know a goddess woman <laughs> She was very uh, pleased to be invited into our circles and and became part of that. It was she was a wonderful paradoxical mix, a perfect mm. teacher.
2: Mm. Mm. Yes, I I think so. In looking at her her books and just the um, the iconographical record that she put together, I mean you can sit Absolutely. around and debate like is this Legato, is this but you cannot. I mean you cannot argue with the with just the sheer amount of evidence she amassed for the divine feminine in Europe I mean it's just it's right there like it's in its But
1: they do. Amazing. They, they do, do argue with it even <laughs>
2: yeah even though well, it's yeah. clear. It yeah. is so clear. And I did for for listeners I'll put it in the show notes for listeners that are interested I I think it was 2021. Joan Marlar was on the show and was talking oh, also. Good. She edited one of uh, Maria, I think one or two of Maria Gimbutas's books. Yes. Um, so I'll make sure.
1: And also, she was her protege. Yes. She is her protege. Yes. She continues the work of Maria Gimbutas and she just finished her PhD dissertation, which is a defense of. Maria uh, yes. and the story of her life and, and then how archaeology received her and and what's happening now that the DNA evidence recently has proven her to be correct. So now no matter how much the archaeologists deny her reality, uh it's it's you know, it's undebatable.
2: Yes. And for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, I just check the show notes. I'll put an article in here for you. I, I, I already feel like this conversation could be hours long. So um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, I'm already, I'm already
2: like, you guys are you're both going to have to come back. Um, I, I do want to make sure that we talk about your podcast. I was pretty excited um, to find out about it. So tell me. Um, Tell me how this came about, and I'd love to know, what's, this, what's the whole significance of uh, 34 Circe? You know, yeah, tell me all the things.
0: Sure. Well, Sean and I had been working together um, on, uh, on film and uh, VR, project called infinite realm and that's
2: virtual reality right? virtual
0: reality exactly yeah we're both (laughs) out here in la you know film capital of the world and um but we were very interested in creating uh projects that are uh you know the things that hollywood is afraid of really woman strong female-centric non-apologetic um projects and so he he created this it's his uh brainchild um this virtual reality world called the infinite realm where certain women can go and in this virtual reality they are um steeped in the forgotten history of priestesses queens women of power throughout history and um, so we were shooting, we were shooting it with 3D cameras to be a VR experience of a VR world. Mm. And then the pandemic happened. Mm. And I know that Vicky and Sean had had some communication around mm. this same time because um, Vicky had made this connection uh, with the uh, Saramations and um, so this is Amazon research. And their bent knee posture resonating with um, the Dakinis in India. And Sean saw that and reached out to Vicky. And the two of them started talking. And then we met in person like November of 2019, I think it yes, was. Yes, that's right. Yeah, for the first time we met in person. And of course, I when, as soon as he said, so I've been talking to this woman named Vicky Noble. I was like, You've been talking to Vicki Noble? <laughs> How? Because, you know, I, I'd i seen her books and, you know, in all of my goddess work. And, you know, for 20 years, I've been I've been aware of her as a leader in the women's spirituality movement and a teacher. And um, so, yes, yeah, so we met in November of 2019. And then, of course, the world shut down. And so, um Sean actually, you know, came up with the idea of like, since we're stuck in our houses, let's start a podcast and let's talk about the things we're going to film when the world opens up again. And that sort of shifted into um, talking about film projects to talking about the kind of research that we were interested in, the kind of things that Vicky had been looking at with Maria Gambutas. And and, um, so we started reaching out out to a bunch of scholars about Amazon research and matriarchy research. And that's sort of how Make Matriarchy Great Again became the focus of the podcast.
1: And in a way, it's so uh, fortuitous that the pandemic locked us down for a while because i was traveling so much in those days that i i would i wouldn't have probably said yes and i was thrilled when sean contacted me because it was it was unbelievable here was this man and he had read The Double Goddess. Hardly anybody's read The Double Goddess, as far as I know, but he had. And he was so into, he he actually knew Janine Davis Kimball and the Amazon research a little bit. But he loved my research, and he resonated with it, and he understood it. And he had done a little bit of research of his own into the some of the movements of people that I talked about from you know, from Anatolia to the Etruscans and the language connections. And and so the, we were just sparking, you know, and it was wonderful. And then we tried a podcast. I think we did a podcast before the pandemic because I came down to see you guys. And then I think we might have started. But it was the pandemic that was like, okay, why not? Yeah. Yeah, I'd never even listened to a podcast at that point, you know, yeah. so... I was clueless, and it was just mm-hmm. the perfect form for me. I, I th- These two, Sean and Don, you know, got my work uh, onto the Internet in a way that I would never have done on my own. Mm-hmm. So it's been uh, very auspicious mm-hmm. uh, yes. and kind of magical unfolding, the same as the mother piece. You know, the streams come together, the conditions are right, this thing happens that you had no idea yeah. it was mm-hmm. going to be possible. Yeah. Never, never. It was not on my list of things to do. No, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just, it just arrived, and now it's the central things in my life. Mm. You know, I'm very dedicated to it. It's, it's been absolutely wonderful. It it forces my coherence in terms of my own research and thinking about uh, what these things mean after all these years, and, and so on. And so, it's Mm. been thrilling. And and we have so much fun. Yes, yes, oh, we do. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, and it's it, yeah. I was going to say, tell me about the 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 format, because I know it's a little different. You do some interviews, right? And then you're also discussing books and um, right.
0: Yeah, so we sort of know. we sort of took as our guide post um, uh, Heidegger's Abendroth's work on matriarchy, yes. um, uh, who you know, if you're if your listeners have not checked her out, um, Hagia.de, I believe, is the website, hagi ade Um, And she has an Institute of Matriarchal Studies that's been, you know, around for decades. And so she has this wonderfully succinct um, and comprehensive definition of what is matriarchy, right? Because most people, when you say matriarchy, they think, Patriarchy, except with women in charge.
2: Totally. Right? Yes. The exact got, same.
0: God in a dress. <laughs> yes. God in a dress. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas actual historical matriarchies, um, and some still exist, some are, you know, um, have have been destroyed. But um, but actual matriarchy is egalitarian. Mm-hmm. It is not um, women ruling and uh, you know and um uh repressing men it is men and women as equals um but there is uh so the spiritual there are four aspects right the spiritual the uh political the economic and this and the social or cultural and um so, the spiritual aspect of a, of a matriarchy is a goddess worshiping mm-hmm. idea. So, the idea of, of, the, of the earth is our mother, the goddess is the divine f- uh, figure in a matriarchy. Mm-hmm. So, an understanding of, of divine as female. Um, and then the other aspects, uh, you know, the political, the idea of um, consensus. Societies of peace that govern by consensus instead um, of war. Instead <laughs> of war, exactly, exactly. Um, and then Genevieve Vaughn, who you've had as a guest on your podcast, yes. um, the idea of the gift economy—that the economic um, uh, arrangement of a matriarchy is there. There isn't currency. There's it's gifts yeah. and it's um, gift giving. In response to need so if if someone has and someone has does not have then the gift is given to need so every if anyone has enough to survive
1: everyone has enough to survive Mm -hmm. Um, and the model for it is the mother and child because our infants are helpless and cannot survive without parenting and it's right. usually the mother right. and so it's that uh it's that freely given gift right. of the right. the mother to the child or the parent parental figure to the child right. it, you don't expect exchange
0: right right it's not a barter system right. it's right. a gift system you give because
1: there is need mm-hmm. and um. what genevieve has said that's so important to our work is is that everybody receives the gift boys and girls receive the gift of survival and nurture from from this parental figure who is usually female and boys are taught to move away from it to to go in another direction otherwise which is unnatural and so the whole uh Male dominance thing is so unnatural, and i I just think that's so valid for our work yeah so max understand.
0: yeah max dashu's phrase uh patriarchy is a maladaptation yes mm-hmm. is just brilliant yeah. yeah yeah it's it is a maladaptation it is Absolutely. It, it's going away from nature and yeah. um and then the idea of um of uh, you know uh, decision making by consensus, of um, of sharing of resources. So in our podcast, we sort of take that as our um, as our model for the kind of topics that we're going to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have several series. We have um, we have our main uh, episodes where we, t- we speak with people like Vicky and other scholars, where we talk about. Um, the science and the scholarship behind matriarchy, aspects of matriarchy, and Amazons in history. Um, Amazons, and this is Vicky's phrase: um, the idea of Amazons as the resistance fighters for the matriarchy. That when matriarchy was being um, destroyed by the patriarchal invading forces, and um, you know the women's powers being suppressed and removed, and women were being Um, turned into uh, forced brides, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. sexual slavery, um, that the Amazons were sort of the last defenses of the matriarchy, taking up arms to desperately try to maintain their way of life, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is both beautiful and tragic. Yes. So that's sort of our main, um, our main strain, but then we also love to go into other directions. So we have a couple of sort of goddess centric, um, uh, series. Uh, one is called in praise of the goddess, where we, where we choose a goddess from a a pantheon, you know, any of the pantheons around the world. And we sort of do a deep, deep dive on the history of that goddess's worship and sort of, um, the current resonances of that goddess um and then we have the feminine divine series where we speak with individual peoples about the presence of a feminine divine in their lives Mm -hmm. and we've spoken with um we've spoken with a, a, a rabbi a conservative rabbi a woman rabbi who talks about Mm-hmm. Um, We've spoken with uh, Caitlin Shetler, who is an amazing poet, and she is um, recovering from uh, her upbringing in um, uh, evangelical Christianity, yes. which, uh, similar to baptism, is like the presence of any female. Um, even in you know close proximity to the male god is completely wiped out of the conversation um uh so we've spoken with a, a couple of different people about their the feminine divine in their lives um and then we have our pop culture where we look at sort of like you know um feminist and matriarchal little um burblings that come up into mm. the popular culture. And we take a look at those and uh, talk about them. Um, and uh, there's one more series that we've only done, I think, one uh, episode on that I that uh, we want, need to do more of, which is The War Against the Goddess, where we talk about modern scholarship um, that is attempting to debunk um, Maria Gambutas and others like her who posit pockets of female power in the past. And they are actively trying to um, either find or make up alternative theories that show that men were always in
1: charge forever and always will be. Mm. Um, It's very postmodern. Like, uh, just because this figurine has breasts doesn't mean she's meant to be a woman.
0: Right. You know? Which is sort of co-opting the, uh, you know, the gender, um, the, the motions that are being made in gender fluid circles now, taking those ideas, which are meant to be empowering for all, no matter what your gender representation is, and using those theories flipping them, doing the patriarchal Aikido, as Sean calls it, taking that energy, flipping it, and using it to further oppress women's history.
2: Yes. Um, Slightly different, but you're making me think of um, something that I came across when I was reading about the so-called Venus figurines early on. Perhaps you've seen this. Like I read somewhere... That someone had a theory that this isn't actually a goddess; it is the dissected brain of a particular animal. It's like, oh, it's not a goddess. That's a dissected brain of a frog. If you take, if you look at the frog's brain and you turn it this way, it looks just like yes. this abstract goddess. It's like,
1: oh, wow,
2: goddess. You will go to any lengths. They, they
1: will contrive anything.
2: It's yeah. wild. It really yeah. is.
0: Yeah. 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 That's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. And then the last series, um, that, uh, that is, uh- uh steps out of um because god bless him goddess bless him he doesn't want to be that dude talking about um women's bodies with any sort of you know authority or understanding um the last series is called being a bad martha which is a reference to uh the handmaid's tale but Mm -hmm. it's where we talk about Uh, the things that society considers gross or unseemly. So we talk about Mm. periods. We talk about, you know, the messiness of giving birth. We talk about menopause. We talk about um, Vicky and I just uh, interviewed Mary Lou Shin, where we talked about women's blood mysteries Mm. and all of the sort of spirituality that surrounds um, the menstrual cycle and, you know, women's blood. And uh, so in all... All of that sort of is all sort of held together, pinned together by the idea of matriarchy.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I love that. I'm, I'm so into this conversation and I'm so aware that we're running out of time. Yes. And I, uh, I really want to continue it. But I want to ask you, let me ask you at least one last question here. Um, I'm curious. So in and especially Vicky, you've been doing this work for quite a while now, like it. <laughs> Is this whole matriarchy thing possible for us? Like, where did, are you filled with hope as you continue these conversations? Are you like, where
1: uh-huh. Where, uh-huh.
2: where, are you? And I'd love to hear from both of you on that.
1: You know, what I do is to constantly uh, stay truthful with myself that I'm really living in two realities. I mean, one is this matriarchal world that I've been living in, you know, in a personal bubble for 30 40 years easily um but the other and and it's i don't know you know what can happen with that in the mainstream especially the current mainstream in our culture but uh but the other track and also science i feel we've gone so far with uh the climate uh, crisis and our pollution and all the chemicals and just with science. We've gone so far that we are not going to be able to fix it. And I really I've really come to terms with that in some way. I'm watching it unfold. I don't believe there's much we can do. I I mean, everybody should do everything they can, but I don't hold a lot of hope for it. On the other hand, I know that the earth is so regenerative, mm. that the body of the earth is so regenerative that Lake Erie came back to life when it was declared dead. You know, mm. we have regenerative capacities we don't understand and don't know about. And that's true in our bodies. I was a, a, a hands on healer for mm. 30 years. And uh, we did incredible work uh, with spontaneous remissions and things like that. So anything is possible at any moment. And I just feel like probably it's not happening. You know, the materialism of our culture is so extreme at this point and the, the worship of science. And so that's probably where we're going. We're going over the cliff. But on the other hand, there is this capacity that Mother Earth and the Mother Goddess have. When I say that, I mean nature, you know, I mean all of the universe and all of the forces and all of the energies. We just aren't cognizant enough of those invisible, powerful, uh, high-frequency forces. And they, they know more than we do, and they It's an intelligence that is greater than our own. And so that's where I put my hope. And when, uh, you know, when the fires happened here in Santa Cruz, I had a vision of the black Dakini. I had a vision. I hardly have real uh, visceral graphic 3D visions. And I saw her very large over the forest, over the fire, just like. Uh, a demonstration of her power. Mm. And then I watched her suck up the fire into herself, Mm. you know, and uh, they managed to put out the fire. Now, you know, I could never prove that those two things are related. Definitely uh, felt calm that night that we were, before that, we were thinking of leaving town because it was so frightening. Yeah. And uh, when I saw that, we were chanting to the Black Dakini, my, two, my daughter and a friend. And uh, when I saw that, I, I said, okay, we don't have to go.
2: Mm.
1: We don't have to go. I do think, you know, Mother Earth will take care of this whole thing, that it's out of our hands now, in a certain sense, um, but she will do that in a very loving and compassionate way, and we need it because we're too stupid to do the things we need to do. You know, just too we're too entrenched in our conditioning and who we are, and we just haven't made the appropriate choices as a collective, and and now it's too late in in that sense of how we could have. Stopped it. So that's a long way of saying I don't know, <laughs> but I but I'm I'm compelled to do this uh, Gimbutas course, yeah. you know, and I know it's because I believe we all need to have. The matriarchy in our consciousness, we need to know not that it's a fantasy of some kind or an alternate reality, but that we have lived it, that we our human evolution depended on it for 200 years, 200,000 years, we were matriarchal or probably longer. The yeah. bonobos are matriarchal, you know, and we're yeah. a lot like them. So I I just think, come on, we, we need to know this. Yes. We need to know it. And then we'll be able to, you know, we'll be able to take the next step and be able to go through whatever processes we have to go through yeah. at this historic moment. Yeah, understanding that it is a
0: viable option.
1: Uh, this yeah, the only true. viable option. I would agree 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So whether we can get, you know, women in, into the government and in a position of power, who knows? Uh, obviously, we're really not, you know, not very sure, good sure. at that in our well, country.
2: And will that structure stay? And is that going to serve us in the long term? I mean, they're big questions, right? Right, 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 right. Okay. I mean, because that whole thing is pretty patriarchal in and of itself I mean even yeah. you know, our modern yeah. imagining of democracy, if we really go back to it, it wasn't well it wasn't really a democracy we just like it to wasn't it
1: really ever democracy. so why are we even stuck on that
2: yeah yeah. yeah. What about you, Don? Uh,
0: Vicky, do you want to bounce before I, I answer you. this okay. question? Yeah, you need yeah. to run to. She has a doctor's yeah. appointment. So Thank yeah.
2: you so much for joining us. Yes. I'd Thank love you to have for you. having me. Yeah, I'd love to have you back. I will make sure to send me your um, information about your course, and I'll make sure to put it in the show notes so people will know Thank about you.
1: it. Thank you. I will. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was really fun, and I can't stand that I have to leave. Uh, <laughs> Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: All there right. we go yes
1: yeah i was i knew she had to
0: get to a doctor's appointment so i figured just let her let her exit gracefully on that beautiful thought that's perfect <laughs> yeah
2: well and i'm curious how you feel too you know as you've been having these conversations over the yeah. last few years like uh where's I, I i i hate to say do you have hope you know i don't know if that's the yeah point, but but where where does that put you in a frame of mind in terms of what is possible for us? I guess. Well,
0: meeting Vicky and understanding and 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 like seeing how th- this women's spirituality aspect of, you know, the feminism of the seventies and the upheaval and the remaking of the seventies, mm-hmm. um, as the aspect that has continued. And then, are you, are you familiar with Octavia Butler?
2: Yes, the writer. Yeah. Oh so, gosh, yes
0: so i that was a pandemic read for me um the parable of the sower and the parable of the talents
2: yes and octavia butler for those who aren't familiar i'll put her in the show notes shows show notes too she uh, was a black science fiction writer who was incredibly ahead of her time it's actually i don't know if you felt this john but reading the parable of the sower, where we are at this moment in time, it was sort of like making the hair stand up on my arms of like, wow, she really knew where we were headed.
0: Yeah, frighteningly uh, prescient, yeah, of one possible future. Yes. Um, So the concept in the parable of the sower that her main character comes up with is this idea that if you want to introduce an idea that can last beyond your lifetime, it has to be done through religion. Mm. That that is the mold, the container, the engine for an idea that can expand beyond you. And um, I'd actually run into this idea years and years and years ago at a a theater maker's um, retreat in um in georgia of all places but this idea that if we created um if we created a physical um sequence that we all gathered together to do the same physical sequence every morning every morning and then we taught it to the others in our village and everyone in the village learned this physical sequence and passed it on and kept teaching it and kept teaching it that a thousand years from now it would be a religion. Mm. So it was really Octavia Butler that crystallized the this idea for me about if we want matriarchy, the best way to, the best container to hold it is the women's spirituality movement. Mm-hmm because that is that idea of goddess and the the undeniability of that idea of goddess is i think the only way we can carry matriarchy beyond the next administration and the next administration and our latest election and the latest, you know, decision of the Supreme Court—all of those things are constantly ebbing and flowing for women's mm-hmm. rights. You know, we we take two steps forward, we take two steps back. We take three steps forward, we take three steps back. Uh, it it never seems to be a gain that we can hold on to.
2: Yes.
0: But in the context of a spiritual belief, it is undeniable. So that is sort of where I pin my hope.
2: Yes,
0: and also why I am in the process of founding the Church of the Clitoris. Oh
2: my God! Because okay, well now we have to stay long <laughs> enough for you to explain this. <laughs> yeah, you have to.
0: So this the Church of the Clitoris, in brief, because it's still in process, um, is a. Um, It's an institution founded for the physical, spiritual, social, emotional, sexual, and mental health of women. Mm -hmm. All those who define themselves as women. It doesn't mean it is a woman-only space. It means it is a space where the focus is on women. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It is a goddess space, absolutely. Um, It is a matriarchal space. It is an egalitarian space. Consensus based place of love. Mm. But what it really is, is a 19, it's a, it's a, it's a new form of a 1970s women's consciousness raising group. Mm. Because our sermons are about things like the, we did some on the blood mysteries. We do things on uh, the importance of sleep. Here, let me take a look at my, my sermon list on what we've done. We've done, uh, child marriage laws. We've done a sermon on child marriage laws. We've done a sermon on asking for help. We've done a sermon on physical pain Mm -hmm. and how that affects your body. We've done a sermon on girl crushes. Mm -hmm. I want to do a sermon on gossip. Mm -hmm. like How has gossip been treated throughout history and what is its purpose in our lives, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is, we do touch on spiritual ideas, definitely, but it is very much about our health as women and all of the different forms that that health can take Mm -hmm. and providing a place for women to focus on their own growth, their own nurturing, their own self-care, their care of others, learning how to listen to other women and support other women in a s- safe space. You know, that's a it's a charged word, sure. but um, but it is a mediated space. We call it clitoral space. Um, it is a mediated space where growth and health are the focus. Mm. So for me, that was sort of my this is my latest way to advance these same ideas that i've advanced that i've been advancing in my feminist activist work throughout my life a lot of it in my younger years was in the arts because media is unbelievably powerful in changing the conversation and affecting our preconceived notions of just about everything in our lives. Um, so media, I think, is a very powerful um, tool for women to, um, to advance the needs that we have in our lives and to help overthrow the patriarchy, let's be honest. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think these consciousness-raising spaces, this idea of creating space for women to talk about women's issues is something that we haven't really seen since the 70s. It's become the public conversation. And we still have it in like book clubs and wine clubs and things like that. We call it other things. Mm-hmm. But um, but for me, I've always worked best in groups of women. Everything that I do, I always find the most advanced is possible in groups working with groups of women um so this is another way of creating a group of women to to benefit us you know to 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 make a good space for women in the world
2: Well, I guess I was thinking, too, that, you know, just a very literal sense, Church of the Clitoris, like you you're rooting spirituality in the body, you know, like in the body. And to me, that is like, OK, well, that has staying power power, first of all, because we all have bodies and we're going to continue right. to be in bodies. It's the counter balance to this focus of transcendence, which I, you know, I think is how we've gotten to this awful place with our planet. Right. And it, yeah.
0: um, that's know, some, I'm, yeah, that someone from afar is going to save us.
2: Right. And we translate that through our politics, through our, through everything we, we, we project it onto our billionaires who are going to get us off to, you know, Mars or wherever, because right. we've destroyed this planet. Like we, yeah. So it roots us back here. And I think it creates a way to see, the sacredness of life in general. If we can find it in ourselves, mm-hmm. then I think we start to see it um, in the world around us too. And that which we hold sacred, we want to protect and yes. preserve and keep. Yes. So.
0: Yes, and foster and share. Yeah. 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 Plus, so. there is the, you know, the scientific fact that the clitoris is the only organ in any human body whose soul function is pleasure
2: well that's a huge thing in and of itself right and if
0: that yeah if that isn't a divine gift i don't know what it
2: is <laughs> such a powerful message to right oh yeah mm-hmm. oh my gosh well i'm in I, i'm in. all in. right
0: <laughs> wonderful <laughs> oh become gosh. one of the clitorati <laughs> i
2: would love to be one of the clitorati that sounds amazing oh my gosh dawn this has been such a joy um I'm so glad we were able to do this thank you so much for joining me i'm sorry sean wasn't able to be here um
0: yes he sends his best wishes and his apologies um, the the forces of uh capitalism
2: I understand.
0: Ma- made it impossible for him to be here so
2: i understand well and i will be sure to put in the show notes um how people can find and listen to make matriarchy great again. And anything else you want to share, pass along with me. It's to me, and I'll make sure I get it in the show notes. And um, yeah, I thank you so, so much for this. This was so much fun.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm. And thanks to all of you for listening, as always. Um, if you like this show, you can subscribe to it, you can give it five stars, tell your buddies about it. You can do all of those things if you so desire. And until next time, you take good care of yourself, and I will be with you again very soon. is hosted by me, Liz Kelly. You can visit me online at hometoher.com where you can find show notes and other episodes. You can read articles about the sacred feminine and you'll also find a link to join the home to her Facebook group for lots more discussion and exploration of her. You can also follow me on Instagram at home her to keep up to date with the latest episodes. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you back here soon.